Hey everybody and welcome. Today we are here with uh, a couple folks from gondola.io and we will be talking about A-B testing, why they, why A-B tests uh, in, in today's market currently are not as good as, as advertised and, and how to potentially fix A-B tests through a machine learning based approach. And so today, again, we are here with uh, Nicholas Herriger and Andre Cohen from, from Gondola. And, and Nicholas and Andre, I was, I was hoping that um, you guys could, we could first start by having you guys introduce yourselves and then just talk a little bit about Gondola before we jump into the articles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe, for having us. Uh, I'm Nicholas. I am a CEO and uh, one of the co-founders uh, here at Gondola. And uh to just describe in a nutshell what we do, um, Gondola optimizes in-game offers and video ads for free-to-play games. Uh, as you already mentioned, we use a machine learning-based approach uh, to optimize the offer assortments uh, and rewards for each player. Um, it's a modular platform approach with an API implementation that has a couple of different modules that product managers, uh, UA people, uh, and other people that are interested in optimizing free-to-play games can use. Uh, yeah, and I'm here as Andre and co-founder and CTO of the company. And my role is really, you know, developing, you know, specialized modules, as Nicholas said, you know, that target very specific problems that product managers have in games and in a way tackling the whole testing world in a different manner than, you know, just a standard uh, all, um, all-encompassing A-B testing solution, right? Great. And so Nicholas and Andre have actually written three blog posts from their Gondola blog. Um, the first is titled, Why Most AB Tests in Free-to-Play Are Doomed. The second is Multi-Arm Bandits, Best for Mobile Game Optimization. And the third is How to Rescue a Failing AB Test. And so we'll go ahead and summarize each of these, uh, each of these blog posts for you, get some, ask some questions to Nicholas and, and, and Andre about, about these articles and get a little bit more color about um, about each of these about some of the main issues associated with A/B testing and and the proposed better solution. So with that, we'll go ahead and start with the first article, which is titled "Why Most A/B Tests and Free to Play Are Doomed." So I'll go ahead and summarize the 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 article. But if there's something that I mischaracterized, or if you guys want to add additional context, uh, Nicholas and, and Andre, feel free to jump in. Absolutely. But with this article first. Um, uh, an argument is made that free-to-play games may appear to be a perfect use case for A-B testing. However, A-B testing can be uh, problematic or even detrimental to optimize revenue in free-to-play games. And some of the reasons that you guys um, articulated in, in the article was, number one, that first, a very small fraction of players in games will actually pay. And so as an example, the, the example that you guys cited was that in a game with, say, 1 million MAU, if only 1% of that pays, then we would only have 10,000 10, paying players. And of these, 90% may spend between $1 to $10, and the remaining 10%, or 0.1% of the total, or 1,000, would spend between $10 to $10,000. And then of the 10,000 spenders, we have to further divide into at least the two groups, the A, the A and B group, and potentially more depending on, on the test. And for statistical significance, we, we would need an extended amount of testing time in a non-changing environment. And so this means that 
this kind of approach would likely not be suitable for one-off events or events that last, let's say, seven days or, or less. And the second reason you guys note is that free-to-play as an, as an industry is constantly changing. You generally have a fairly unstable environment. And so both the game itself and also outside of the game, you could be impacted by events, sales, or, or things happening with other games as well. So in conclusion, to properly, to properly A-B test against revenue events in a free-to-play environment, you sort of need sufficient amount of, of payers, a stable environment, and then enough time to reach to statistical significance. And so in conclusion, there should be a better way. And the better way is multi-armed bandit, which is a subject of the next uh, post that we'll talk about. But first of all, wanted to just uh, kick it back to, to, you, to you guys, Nicholas, Andre. Is that a fair characterization of, th of that article? And is there any other um, additional context that we should add about it? No, I think you did a really great job. The, the The general idea of the article is that A/B testing is is the go to solution uh, in the games industry to to test everything, and uh, obviously a lot of these tests uh, are related to um, to revenue increasing, you know, monetization improving measures, right? And uh, as soon as I find myself in that cohort, then the user base that I have available to test on. Uh, is not going to be my 1 million MAU anymore or whatever number uh, it is that, that you have in your game, but it's going to be a fraction of that because I have to focus on on, uh, on paying players, right? On, on, on the paying population that you mentioned before. And while a lot of the tests that are run are, are aiming at, you know, increasing the, the, the percentage of paying players, um, it, the increases that you're going to be looking at are, are, are not going to be dramatic enough to you know, move the needle here substantially. So it is just something you always have to take into account, like how many players uh, are, are really spending players in my game, and then I have to subdivide them, and, and how many players am I going to be left with over a certain amount of time. So yeah, you characterized this uh, really well. Got it. But uh, j just to be clear, though, um, if there is a game getting tons of installs and, you know, for some IP branded games, for example, uh, the issues that you mentioned in this post may not apply. Right. And, and obviously this is more of an uh, more of the outlier case. But for for games that do generate massive downloads, including pay events, then this would not be as much of an issue. Is that correct? Yeah, that's generally correct. I mean, we do not need to talk about uh, the fact that there's games out there that have 10 million MAU or way more. Uh, undoubtedly, there are games out there, you know, even mobile games that have, you know, conversion rates of 3% or even higher. Um, but I think both of those are, are really rare and especially rare. <laughs> of both of those. Like, I mean, if you have a 10 million MAU hyper casual game, you are not going to have a 3% conversion rate, right? And if right. you have like a 7% conversion rate in, in your hardcore RPG, you're most likely not going to have 10 million players. So, so generally you're right. Uh, th there's games out there that can, can shoulder a, a, a lot of, you know, multivariate testing uh, because of the great user base and uh, the high conversion rates that they have. But they are super rare, and I think what we what we always need to take into consideration is that A/B testing is something that is applied to all games out there, right? And the vast majority of these games uh, that run A/B tests in free-to-play suffer from the issues that we just talked about before, 
you know, surrounding insufficient sample sizes, insufficient time, uh, and therefore lack of statistical significance. And I think this is what we wanted to uh, point to in, in our article, that we just see this a lot, and, and it leads to a lot of frustration and wasted time and, uh, and inconclusive tests, and uh, right. that there might be a better approach. Okay. And so another question I wanted to ask is, is, is a follow-up to this article is, is really around trying to characterize more specifically in, in sort of installs and dollars and cents. So like just taking a couple of hypothetical situations, um, wondering if you guys could comment on, you know, the, the number of installs it would take to reach this statistical significance. And so just the, the first example, let's say we wanted to test two different IAP price points, let's say like $4.99 and $9.99 for the same sales bundle of some kind. Um, and with reasonable assumptions of say like 1.5% daily conversion. And uh, let's say 25% of those that purchase, you know, this specific IAP SKU, like the, you know, $4.99 or $99. So how many installs would I need in order to reach stat sig on this specific hypothetical ab test what it really comes down to right when asking that kind of question is well what was the hypothesis in the beginning right um when you were designing the the two packages right and so i i think in this situation it would be like you know what would lead to a, a higher overall ltv sure sure and and, and as part as the hypothesis you you should have a number in mind, right? Like, let's say, um, hey, I think this is going to generate 2% increase in conversion rate, right? Or it's going to increase by 20% my conversion rate. Um, something that you can measure it, that you're going to check for at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the number that dictates how many users you need to acquire or how many users you have to have through the funnel until you have enough data to get to the statistical significant point, right? Right. Um, so you, you need to start with an assumption of what you think the the, the delta will be, or what the what the improvement is will it, be. Is, is, that, is that what you're saying? Yes. So in, in the academic sense, like in the true like science way, you should write down in a document like the what you're going to do in the experiment, and write down also what do you want to be true at the end, and then. You never look at like what the current statistic is during the A/B test. You keep it closed, like you you don't open the drawer until the green light goes off and says, "I have the data, and I can tell you with statistical significance what the answer is." And then you open the drawer and then you see the result and you compare with what you wrote before in your little book, because okay. that's the only way to not be biased. Because okay. it's really challenging for a PM, I think, or anyone to have a test running and always be looking every day at the result, right? Uh, even though it's not yet done, but right. but to answer your question, right about like how many users do you need, right, for this sort of experiment, um, it all comes down to the following: if you're looking for a drastic change in outcomes, right, or let's say the nine ninety nine is significantly better at performing than the four ninety nine, then you're going to need very few players. But if you think that this is a very small change in the game, right? Like this is inside a paywall deep in the game. There's like seven other IEP offers already in there. Like maybe it's only a 1% increase in conversion rate or increase in LTV, right? Something very tiny. Then you're looking at requiring a lot of users. Um, okay. Like you're looking in millions. Got it. And so could you give us 
um, you know, just as an example, for some of those data points, let's say like a, you know, um, a 1% or a 5% increase versus like a 20% increase, what, 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 what would that mean? So if you're looking at like the, the realistic, you know, free to play, you know, expectation, let's say you're looking for a small, um, you said like originally, let's say the conversion rate was 1.5%. And now you now at the end of the A/B test, you hope to have a 1.7% conversion rate, like something small, but which makes a difference in the end. That you're looking at around like between five and ten million users that you have to acquire, assuming that you have you know a churn rate that's pretty realistic in there too. Wow, and and so just practically speaking, let let's say we're talking about a two dollar CPI or even one dollar CPI, but we're talking quite quite a lot of money to to determine whether. Um, you know, to, to reach statistical significance, basically. Exactly. And the and this is why, you know, some people try doing A-B tests for, you know, monetary purposes, but oftentimes A-B tests are more successful in, hey, we have this free, uh, this uh, PVP mode. We're not, we're not sure if it's going to, you know, destroy the other game modes that generate us, you know, 80% of our revenue. So let us try an A-B test there because that you expect a really big difference, right? Game features are easier to measure because the impact is so great. Okay. Uh, yeah, just, just just to add to that, game features are also significantly easier to measure because they usually are relevant for a much bigger population uh, uh, within the game's user base, right? So now we're moving away from, oh, I only have a conversion rate of 1.5%, but all of a sudden, you know, if everybody is eligible to play this PvP mode and it's available right on the... Uh, on the opening screen, right? Then you obviously have a much bigger population that is exposed to that you, you can measure, plus the bigger difference. So, um, yeah, the, the the hardest thing to measure is always anything that is related to monetization in a free to play environment. Right. And can, could you guys like characterize, let's say, that as our second hypothetical situation? Let's say there's like a new survival event um, in, in a you know free to play gotcha collection based game of some kind, and we wanted to. A-B test that big feature against, you know, whether it's, you know, ARP DAO retention, ultimate LTV impact, you know, could you just give me a rough estimate in terms of installs for that kind of a scenario? Yeah. So the the, the tricky part with that kind of setup, and this happens all the time, um, like even when, you know, we get implemented into games, um, there's often that question, well, there's a lot of different KPIs that is interesting to measure and verify that they're, you know, being beneficial, right? Uh, like the gotcha collection or, or an event, um, you have all these different metrics that you're looking for. What we really should do to, to be really scientific about the process is that every metric that you want to, you know, verify or, or compare or see the performance of should be its own A-B test, right? Okay. So at yeah. the setup of the, of the experiment, you should write down, well, ArpDAO, I expect um, very small change. Uh, retention, I expect, you know, easily 20% up. Uh, lifetime value, let's say 5%. And now what you have to do is, well, you have to wait pretty much until the, the slowest A-B test to finish, right? Yeah. Uh, or in the way that you phrased it, well, the one that requires the most users. Uh, to finish, so we're back at the same you know answer as before. Um, I bet you that you know retention might be who knows. I actually don't know the answer, but one of these metrics or KPIs is going to take a really long time to finish because you're probably going to say it doesn't really change or shouldn't impact the 
the let's say right. or something that has a very small improvement or delta is is going to take a shit ton of installs basically exactly yes and then you but here's what happens like to be realistic and i think this is like the conversation that's that should be had more often let's face it no one does it this way right what people do is that they run the ab test on probably conversion because that's really easy to track in excel um and all these other kpis you just you know look before and after right you know, you wait two months and then you compare, well, what was my LTV two months ago? What's my LTV today? You know, and then you make an educated guess on the directionalness of the whole thing and if, the, if it was good or bad. And that's totally fine. Got it. Okay. So maybe we can jump to the next article, which is called Multi-Arm Bandits, Best for Mobile Game Optimization. And so in this article, you guys... Uh, argue that um, multi-arm bandit, which is a machine learning-based approach, is superior to A-B testing frameworks. Um, but before we go a little bit further here, may- maybe we- I can have one of you guys kind of give a, you know, um, a simple or a layman's explanation of, of multi-arm bandit and, and sort of what it does. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from a, you know, 30,000 feet point of view, uh, Multi-arm bandit testing is is all based on the idea that when you test, you usually have two goals. You want to learn from your test results, but if you run a business, you also want to earn, meaning make money with what you have learned along the way. And and that's the dilemma uh, of A/B testing, because while you learn, so while you are you know testing all the different variants and all of that, and you have a uh, you have a fixed distribution of your traffic, you know, who gets exposed to what kind of experience, you generally cannot earn, right? Meaning you cannot act on your learnings while you're still testing. And uh, if, if we just, you know, remember the conversation uh, that we just had, you know, how many users we need, how much time we need and all of that. So those are fairly long stretches of time during which I'm, I'm you know, almost like uh, held captive in my, in my testing environment and I cannot really act on that. And so multi-arm banded testing is a different approach. Um, the term literally comes from old school one-armed banded slot machines. And uh, I think it's easiest explained in just an example. Let's say Joe Kim, right, wants to go into a casino and he has $1,000 in his pockets and he wants to play slot machine. And his goal is that he wants to make as much money as he can. So he walks in, there are three slot machines in front of him and uh, he knows they most likely all have different payouts but he doesn't know which which one is the best one right which one will will give him uh, the most for the the money that he invests so to start he has to start playing all of these three slot machines right feeding them all uh, with coins in order to figure out um, you know what what is the observed win rate now he could do this with his entire, you know, pocket change of a thousand dollars, and then be left with, you know, maybe a, a fairly reliable result. But then he doesn't have any money left to, you know, invest into the highest return slot machine. So he would have learned a lot, but he would have deprived himself of earning anything. With multi-arm bandit and how you go about this is that as you feed the slot machines and as you observe a certain win rate, which might you know, might be a coincidence, but you probably get a directional idea fairly quickly, which one, you know, has a higher payout. You start shifting the distribution of your traffic uh, according to what you're observing. So over the course of $1,000, right? So the first $100 you might spend, you know, equally in all of the machines. Then you see that the machine uh, number two in the middle is the one that has the highest payout. So maybe now that gets 50% of your traffic and the other two only get 25 
and you're staying flexible as you observe different results coming in. And, uh, and that's what makes it so different from A-B testing, because in an A-B testing scenario, you have a fixed distribution that you're going to stick to throughout your experiment, then you have results in the end, and only then you can act on the results. So if we take this into the gaming environment, obviously, we're not feeding a slot machine with coins, um, but we are using... For example, if we have offers in the game, you know, a certain amount of impressions for different offer variants, right? For offers A, B, and C. And rather than keeping that static, we dynamically shift the distribution and the traffic depending on which of these um, which of these offers, for example, works best for certain player cohorts. And that means that you do not necessarily have to, you know, first learn and then earn later, but you can do both at the same time. And that is much more applicable to anything that only runs for short amounts of time in the game or maybe only uh, with a small amount of players. So that's multi-arm bandit in a nutshell. Okay, great. And then in the in the post itself, um, you guys argued that if you're A-B testing, let's say the Thanksgiving sale at $9.99 is better than the Black Friday sale for $4.99, um, using traditional A-B testing methods does not accomplish the goal of maximizing revenue for the developer because first, you know, it's going to take, as we discussed before, depending on, you know, how much of an improvement we expect, it may take six weeks, maybe longer, maybe shorter, depending It'll take a long time to reach statistical significance. Second, as you mentioned, while conducting the test, you know we're not revenue, uh, we're not maximizing revenue during that time. And the third point, which is that the test assumes there is a best offer to show all players in the game, regardless of spending and playing behavior. And by this third point, I just wanted to confirm, but does that actually mean that multi-arm bandits will show different offers to different players in the game? Uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, in the gaming contest, what you're doing is you're showing the offer with the best odds for a given player, right? So there's there's player segmentation going on in, in the beginning. It will be, you know, fairly coarse. Maybe you only have two or three groups. Over time, as you learn more, it becomes more fine-grained. And then different offers will be shown to different players. Um, and determining the, the best odds for an offer... Uh, then depends on things like the player profile, the conversion probability for that specific offer, a predicted LTV that you have down the road, and all of these things. Right. And then you guys also mentioned that it, it'll reach optimal performance faster than a traditional A-B test. And does that mean that it requires less sort of data points or installs from a, a relative to statistical significance? Or uh, what was meant by that? So what is meant by that is... If you look strictly on, you know, um, maximizing revenue, right? Yep. Uh, the A-B test is going to lag behind a multi-arm bandit because you have a fixed group split assignment, right? So even if one of the groups in the A-B test is really doing super well, yep. you will be forced by, by the science of it to stick with like this mediocre other variant right. that does not perform very well until the end. Got uh, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I gotcha. And then um, the, the other, the other, the one last point I wanted to ask about this is that so, will if if you're just running multi arm bandit, um, is the other advantage that it'll continue to capture external factors and be more and be dynamic, so that as like maybe the environment changes, competitive factors come into play, that it may then also then switch back to an, another variant. 
Yes. So I guess that's the biggest difference that's not very obvious is A-B testing is something that you do once. You come up with the learning and then you shelve the learning and you apply the learning to the game as a, as a set rule, right? right. In multi-arm bandit, that has to be a always on real-time you know, optimization that never goes away. Right. Yeah, and you know, this is one one of the reasons why when when I talked to you guys at GDC, you, you guys really convinced me that this is a better approach. But um, so, so a few questions then. So first, this all sounds extremely fantastic in in theory, but I'm I'm wondering, like, you know, this sounds so great. Who's who's doing this now? Um, and and have you guys implemented this, or do you know of any companies that that? that is running multi-arm bandit instead of A-B tests? Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll start with us and, and then I'll respond to the rest. So um, we have definitely implemented this. We actually started building this uh, two years ago uh, in the sense that we started shifting our internal technology from A-B testing uh, to multi-arm bandit testing. So we, we have a lot of firsthand experience with A-B testing um, and, and saw some of the shortcomings and, and we're, we looked for a new approach. And then last year, we officially started migrating uh, our customers to the new MAB-based system, and that worked really well. And so uh, since January of this year, uh, that's all we do. So we're only doing uh, MAB-based integrations. As far as who else is doing this, my absolute favorite example um, is that is not from the gaming context, but uh, that is, I think, so relevant because because we are all subscribers to that is Netflix, right? So the optimization of the Netflix home screen um, is uh, meaning what they suggest to you, right? The big recommendation they show you on top, uh, you know, what they think you might also like. All of these things that are so crucial for them in order to keep that you in the Netflix environment uh, and so that you don't go to Amazon Prime or Hulu or any of the competing services. This is all optimized with multi-arm banded testing and they're actually very open about it. You will find a lot of talks and articles from Netflix on, about this online. So I, I think there's generally a shift in the entertainment industry uh, towards multi-arm bandit testing because it's just more applicable um, to the the optimization situations that we're all facing. Got it. And then just sort of conceptually speaking, are there potential drawbacks or limitations with multi-arm bandit? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one is really complexity, right? Um, I, I kind of touched upon it earlier with like making a reference to Excel, right? But A-B testing can technically be done with um, just using, let's say, iTunes dashboard that tells you how much you sold of an IEP and an Excel sheet that you put in the numbers and it calculates your statistical significance. Um, So anyone can do an A-B test right now. Now, MAB, as we just said before, right, it it does require an always-on algorithm doing, you know, the, the math that require, that's required to calculate like who, what offer to show to, let's say, Nicholas or Joe. And so that, that gets really in the way, I think, of a lot of people from just running out there and, and doing this. Um, in a more, you know, not, more theoretical level, uh, and this is the more complicated one to describe, MAB is doing what everyone would wish they could do with an A-B test, which is that once you see an indication that an offer is doing better than another one, let's say the the Black Friday is doing better than the Thanksgiving sale, 
everyone, like any PM or anyone that, that's optimizing a game would say, whoa, if, if Black Friday is doing well, let's shift, you know, 70% of our traffic to Black Friday, keep a little of the traffic on the Thanksgiving sale, just in, just in case, you know, maybe this is a fluke. Uh, and, and that way we'll make more money. It is possible with MAB that MAB, you know, by a sh- sheer luck, uh, finds, you know, one of the offers to be better than the other by sheer, you know, chance. You know, it's like going to the slot machine and, and you know, getting one slot machine that really is hot. And you're like, yeah, I always get I always get a cash out on this one. But it's not necessarily true that that is the best one. It's just the best one right now by chance. Uh, the other machine might have been better, but you just don't know. So what it means is that for NAMEB to, to run well, you have to keep an eye on it, right? It is possible to, you know, have a streak of luck with one offer, uh, let's say because... You know, the, a player base you acquired prefers, let's say, the cheaper offer than the more expensive offer uh, or vice versa. And, and then later you have to, you know, kind of poke the MAB and say, hey, you, want to, you might want to reconsider those other offers again because maybe things have changed. Uh, and, then it, and then it works back to normal. Got it. And then, you know, I first learned about MAB about a year or so back, and I know a bunch of folks were using uh, multi-arm bandit or, or hybrids of multi-arm bandit for a number of different applications, um, both like with respect to like like sales and events, but more so on the UA side. Um, have you guys heard of any other applications for for, for MAB, in, whether it's in gaming or, or outside, or what, what are the like other applications this is being used for besides A-B testing? Yeah, so um, I mean, I, I think we have to strictly differentiate between A/B a- testing and and, and multi-arm bandit testing solutions. Um, but as far as general MAB testing solutions go, right? So, is there anything out there that you know would resemble a general A/B testing solution that can be applied in a lot of different environments? Um, I think Optimizely has a product that's called Stats Accelerator that they describe to be like an, a multi-arm bandit algorithm. Um, and what it does is so you can switch from an A-B test to something that works faster uh, because once there is an indication that a variant performs better, and this is exactly what Andre just described, uh, they can change the allocation. But as far as the, the general mindset goes uh, and the general approach goes, it is still an A-B testing uh, way of thinking. So I think this would fit more into the um, you know hybrid category uh, that you just spoke about, Joe. Got it. And then in terms of like just a, I'm wondering why there is no like very specific, you know, multi-arm bandit tool specifically for, for AB testing. Like is, is there, do, do you guys like, why isn't there a commercial product out or do you think somebody's working on that or why, why haven't you guys done that specifically as a, as a, uh, you know, third party tool? Uh, you just said A, B testing. I think I thought you meant, you know, why is there no specific tool for, for multi-arc bandit testing out there? Right. Um, right. yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I think the answer to that is that building a product for the general testing optimization market uh, that is based on yeah. multi-arm bandit testing or A-B testing actually is difficult because one of the main challenges is always to run the right experiment, right? Games have an infinite number of things that you can test uh, and it's really easy to test something that is destined to fail as probably everybody who is listening to this has experienced at least once in their career. Uh, and and it happens more often than not, right? So you you always need to ask yourself, what are we optimizing for? And if that answer isn't really obvious, then the test will not work. Um, 
that's why we decided we didn't want to build a general testing solution. Uh, it just won't help our customers uh, in becoming more successful. Uh, it will mostly make them frustrated because they're lacking the guidance as far as, you know, what kind of test to run, what kind of uplift to look for, um, and how to orchestrate all of that. So, so it sounds great on paper that you have all of that uh, freedom, but then, you know, when a product manager is faced with, okay, I want to optimize my game, you know, what should I test for? You know, how do I set this up, et cetera? Then what they're really looking for is guidance. And the reason we know that is because we spoke to a lot of them about this. Um, and, and that is, yeah, no, honestly, I mean, I, we, we just got a lot of people on the phone and, uh, and said, Hey, you know, describe your job, describe your challenges and your frustrations. And, and what do you do in the testing environment? And, you know, once you hear the same answer over and over and over again, then you realize what it is that they, that they really need. And I think guidance is, is, is a, is a very, very, uh, crucial, crucial thing here. So that's why we rather decided to identify a number of, you know, very impactful optimization that pretty much apply to every free to play game, right? Like a target optimization, which offers to show to a player um, what is the right assortment of an in-game store for an individual player? What are the rewards for video ads and these kind of things? And uh, we focus exclusively on these. And by doing that, we ensure that the setup is done correctly with very minimal effort for the product manager and that the product managers can run an optimization that will generate meaningful upsides for their game uh, in uh, you know short amounts of time and also that they can continue to run these tests while they go through the development roadmap and do all of these other things uh, because the distribution stays flexible. And um, from our point of view, that is the much more applicable approach than having just a, a broad, you know, figure it out yourself, multi-arm banding test solution. Got it. Okay, great. And so with that, I thought we'd jump to the last uh, post, which is how to rescue a failing A-B test. And so if uh, for, for the audience out there, if, if you are doing A-B tests and it's not going well, well, you know, these guys have, have kind of uh, given us a, a view on how to actually improve them. And so in terms of summarizing the, the, the post, you guys argue that the chance of a successful A-B test is, is actually less than 20%. And the reasons for this is because a successful A-B test requires first a good hypothesis, as we talked about before, a large sample size, a sufficient time to gather data, and uh, finally assurance that no external factors affect the measurements. Um, and, and really, when, when, uh, just, just to be clear, when we say sufficient time to gather data, we, we are basically talking about enough data points, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, the, okay. the, I guess it's, it comes from our, the, who we work with versus, I think, what happens often in, in the real world. It's when you're launching a game, you often do a lot of A-B tests, right? When, especially when you're just testing in beta or self-launching. And in those situations, I think it's more common to measure, uh, well, I need X number of users, right, per day to acquire so that I can successfully, you know, see if my game is running well. Right. Once you launch the game fully, and let's say you're a year in, into development of that game or maintaining the game at this point, then UA is actually exceptionally predictable, right? You know exactly how much money you're going to spend every day, how many users you get. And so then it's just a matter of time, right? All the equations turn to time. Right, um, and then from the from the post, I wanted to um, I, I want to mention a quote which stated, "Often the lack of st statistical si significance is due to a large and varied test control population, 
In mobile games localized to different markets with different demographics, player groups can cancel each other out. And I wanted to ask if you guys could elaborate on this point. So how do different player groups actually cancel each other out? Yeah, sure. Um, this comes from our experience with, you know, doing uh, optimization in the, you know, in payments in the game, right? This is obviously very different, I think, if you're doing, you know, testing the PvP mode, uh, because you're you're talking about a, a very different kind of metrics that you're looking at, and also the number of users that apply to it. But um, in in the monetization world. What I see all the time is the if you break up the player base into two, uh, let's say by two different dimensions, right? So let's say a platform and continent. Let's speak very broadly here, and say you know you're looking at Latin American and an Android users versus European users that also have an Android phone. What you often find, right, when you look at the data, is that the Latin American Android users prefer, let's say, the $4.99 offer, and the European users with the Android device prefer the $9.99 offer. And under you know, the correct circumstances, like player base size, uh, number of purchases, conversion rates, et cetera, it's very common, actually, to have these numbers cancel each other out, meaning the, the, the preference of the Latin American users cancels out the, the results of the EU, EU users. And at the end of the A-B test, what you get out of it is like, eh, there is no difference. Like both offers performed exactly the same way. It, you know, this was not very successful. Let's just stick to whatever the old offer was and move on with life. Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, why don't we, uh, and, and so there were like, from this, from this article, there were basically, uh, from, uh, at least from my understanding, three key takeaways. The first is that, um, when a test begins to show no difference between the control and experimental group, and um, and there is a sufficient number of data points that you guys recommend considering narrowing the population and conducting the test in a single region only. Um, the second key takeaway was that you guys suggested to just go bigger. Um, and then uh, one one question about this the second point was uh, was a quote that, uh, from the article that suggested the number one problem I see in A-B tests is a fear of unintended consequences. And, and wondering if you could actually uh, explain a little bit more about what you guys meant about unintended consequences. Yeah. I mean, you actually brought it up, uh, I think, unknowingly uh, at the okay. beginning <laughs> uh, right. when you said, hey, you know, well, you're doing this A-B test, but I the gotcha example, right? Uh, you're going to run an event with a gotcha collection and you're interested in the ARPDAO, LTV, churn, retention metrics. Like, I want to make sure this thing works, right? And right there, that is really saying, hey, I fear that the Scotia collection mode A-B test might screw one of my metrics up. And so I want to be sure that it doesn't screw it up, right? And, and then, you know, you start, you know, limiting the user base or trying to control the, the risk, right, of the, the experiment by saying, well, let's only do this in Thailand or, you know, and then you come up with a good reason, like, hey, Thailand actually speaks really good English, so it's actually pretty co comparable to the rest of my markets. Um, but there's always that fear, right? And I think the one example that I find fascinating is in the rewarded video ad space. 
I mean, the first time that someone suggested that you could give, you know, free gold coins for the player for watching an ad, obviously the first thing that everyone thought is, well, won't that remove money from my in-app purchases, right? Uh, this this could completely destroy my game, right? And it took a, probably a year or two of people testing this feature to realize that, no, like, rewarded video ads and IEP can live together, right? But even to this day, I mean, the, the fear still exists when we propose, you know, hey, have you considered uh, changing the amount of reward you get for watching a rewarded video ad? And a lot of people, you know, might still consider, wait, there is a risk there, right, of, that you could, you know, cannibalize my IEP sale. And so I think there's always fear in, in optimizing and changing things in the game. And if people were just open up a little more the, the experiment to include more users or try a bigger change, right? Like don't, don't tweak, you know, five coins versus 10 coins, go from five to 20, like make a big change in the reward of video ad. Um, you will have a much easier time, you know, seeing the results. Right. Yeah. And I, I think you explained that concept pretty well, but in, in the article itself, I, I think you, uh, as an example there, you picked like, if you're, if you're picking South Asia as the market to run a paywall re redesign, you, you suggested in the article that that's unlikely to work. And the reason why you suggested is that, um, is that in, in a poor country, the, there's a bigger discrepancy between rich and poor. And so, um, you know, whales would uh, present much greater value in, in that market relative to other markets. And so, I, I mean, I think you already explained um, why it's, it's, it's good to go bigger. So, um, yeah, why don't we go ahead and switch to the last key takeaway, which is switching testing methodology. And in, in this one, you said that there is, uh, there's an approach called DID, uh, difference in differences, uh, differences in differences, which is cheaper and more light and more lightweight way of, of testing variants. And you didn't go into like the specifics of, of DID in the article, but, um, you know, just basically suggesting that um, A-B testing, given how expensive it is, how many installs it requires, that potentially other A-B or other, other testing methodologies could actually get you to where you want without, you know, all of the weight of A-B testing. Is that, is that a fair, fair um, uh, characterization of, of, of the three key takeaways? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the... Yeah, uh, there's nothing else to say. I think that, you know, A-B testing <laughs> is a very serious endeavor. Um, right. And when you're doing it, you, you have to really say, I want to see probably a big change or I want to invest a lot of money into getting to the end, right, by, right. by acquiring a lot of users. If you can't have one of those so, yeah, two things, you're, you're probably going to have a problem. Got it. And, and then in terms of just like follow-up questions to this article, is there is there more like could you expand a little bit about uh, some of these alternative approaches like like DID? Um, you know, I, I I don't want you to like you know go in too much depth, but just just kind of like high level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, DID difference in differences is actually very popular in social sciences uh, because it is very difficult to get a, a sufficient population size that you can do a an A/B test in um, and. The nice thing about DID is that you can actually do it from an existing A-B test setup because it assumes that you also have two groups, right? A control and a group that you're doing the experiment to. And 
the difference here from A-B test is that there is a period of data that you have where you have no, no you know, testing going on. And then you have a period of time where you have the test. And you have this group and you, know, you have data for both sides of this you know, analysis. And what you're trying to see is the following, right? The control group should be performing exactly the same before you started the experiment and afterwards. And the experimental group, you should see a change. And DID comes with a whole bunch of equations that can tell you if the, the difference in this control group versus the experimental group is significant enough to conclude that there was a change at all, right? Or was it noise? And also the other nice thing that it does in the DID world is it's possible, and we've seen this a lot, is that your group assignment for the A-B test was already faulty to begin with, right? Uh, the control group might have already been experiencing some other factor that was creating change in the player base. And, and that only made it worse when you started the real experiment. So it's actually really neat. And uh, it can even be done in Excel, which is also a nice feature. So I think people should always consider, you know, as a backup to giving the idea a shot. Got it. And then maybe the last question um, has to do with st statistical significance. And so I know I've talked to some, you know, some product managers like X Zing guys who are used to running a lot of A-B tests who are like, you know what, we, we don't even... Um, we don't even care about statistical significance too much. We just we just try and see if there's there's like a big big difference between the, the A B groups. Um, well, what do you think about that approach? I mean, is that a pretty um, bad way of doing things, or is, is is that reasonable? I think it's perfectly reasonable, uh, and the the reason why is that um, you know, maybe to just think for a second here, what's the purpose of statistical significance? So what does statistical significance really do? Statistical significance tells you that an outcome of an experiment is not an accident and that you can kind of bet your life on it, that if things stay the same, that outcome would be as the same a year down the road. So um, I think one of the, the, the most you know, relevant examples for something where you can absolutely not get around statistical significance is if you, if you have a clinical trial, right? So you're testing the placebo versus the real drug, right? At the end of that clinical trial, you need to be absolutely certain that this drug is working and it's not a coincidence because of, you know, I mean, somebody's life might depend on that. So, so those are, you know, the situations where you, where you cannot cut any corners. You know, in, in free-to-play games, that is probably not always required because that's a really, really big goal. And also... Uh, this all things staying the same is rarely ever going to work in free to play. Not only because your user base changes and 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 the way you acquire user changes and uh, and your game ages and there, you know you you I don't know you you release new features every four weeks and your competitor releases new game and all of that. It's just a continuously changing environment. So as a product manager. You should only really aim for, for statistical significance in its rock-solid form in the rare situations where, you know, you, you're making a really, really big decision that, you know, your, your game might be de dependent on, you know, whether it, it can live another two years or whether you have to shut it down, right? Or maybe for something that you want to do, you know, a GDC talk about where, you know, a thousand people will be watching you and, and you will be, you know, highly, highly scrutinized because this is like a scientific endeavor. Anything short of that, you should really, you know, consider a different method. And uh, I know that there's a big push in games to learn 
uh, and migrate learnings to other games, right? Often backed with something like statistical significance. So, you know, a product manager, you know, has, has maybe managing more than one game or a studio has has multiple games. And and in the first game, they, uh, you know, they, are, they have learned that uh, the cheapest in-app purchase uh, should be, you know, $2.99 and not 99 cents, right? That that, uh, as far as aggregate yield goes, is, is the, the preferable strategy. Um, and then they try to carry this over to KMB, right? And developers make up great stories that, oh, my players in these two different games are so similar and, and so this works uh, and all of that. But that's generally um, pure speculation. Um, you, you would really need another A-B test to validate that. Um, and now that learning theory breaks down. So going back to what you said you heard from the Zynga guys, I, I think a, a better way is to focus on whether you want to improve something in your game or you want to learn something in your game. Uh, most game teams really just want to improve their game. Uh, that's where something like multi-arm banded testing is much more superior to A-B testing and statistical significance. And only if you are really looking for learnings that you can depend on, you know, with, with the highest level of certainty, then statistical significance is something that you should aim for. Otherwise, you will you will probably never get anything done. Got it. Okay. Well, again, thank you guys so much for your time. Is uh, Do you guys have any sort of concluding remarks with respect to any of these, these articles or with respect to uh, multi-arm bandit before we before we end? Yeah, I, I think just what, what I said before, you know, A-B testing is really for learning, but most people in free-to-play are looking to optimize an existing live product, and that's probably, um, you know, the situation where, where you know, people can, can have a, a better time and an easier way, you know, applying something else than A-B testing. Um, that's, I think, uh, what, what we want to get out there. Okay, great. Well, again, thanks so much for your time. And with that, that that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having us. Thank you, us. Joe. Thanks. Bye. Bye.